All right. Well, let's pray before we get started. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for everyone that's here. Uh, Lord, that uh, you would uh, just bless uh, their time here. Lord, we pray that you would anoint uh, your word. And, and Lord, it's a, your word is just so practical and just so a matter of fact. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't complicate uh, the word that, Lord, we would simply um, just take it for what it is and uh, live it out, Lord, flesh it out in our lives. So uh, speak to our hearts tonight, uh, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that last song, Glory to God Forever. So the last, I don't know if it's the, oh, it's the bridge. Or it's the, that's the bridge. You could tell I'm very musically inclined. But anyhow, if I, could, if I could put a title on tonight's message, it would be, Take My Life and Let It Be, All for You and Your Glory. Take My Life and Let It Be Yours. And, you know, I see that as I've been going through the book of Acts. It's just so amazing. You know, you see... God's sovereignty and man's responsibility just come together throughout the book of Acts. And, and I, I know I sound like a broken record from, you know, going through Acts, but, you know, guys, I hope you see that uh, the reality is that God wants to use us just like he wants and, and did use um, these guys and gals in the first century church. And... There's a lot of power in that because we look at some of the characters that we read about, the men and women, and we think, wow, you know, that's amazing. Look what God did through them. And really, outside of the, the way we dress and the way we get around, um, they're not much different than we are. They're men and women that were touched by the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, and felt um, just a strong um, desire in their heart to be faithful to those things that God called them to do. Whether it was be a, being a housewife, an employee, whatever it was, um, you know, their, their heart was, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. And, you know, not everything that we read going through Acts is just packed full of excitement, but... Um, you know, even some of the subtle things are exciting and powerful. So, on Thursday night, we started Acts chapter 18. So, we're going to finish it tonight. And, uh, you know, whenever we're done with it, we're done with it. It might be an early night. You don't know. I'm just kidding. All right, but anyway, we're going to pick up in verse... Let's read verses 9 through 11. And you know what I wanted to do, too? You know, just to give you an idea of what we talked about Thursday. Paul is just, Paul is coming to Corinth from Athens. And we had talked about, you know, why was, um, why was the ministry in Athens not as fruitful as it was in Corinth? And we talked a little bit um, as by way of a, um, just a point of view, um, uh, Pastor John Corson's view uh, in part of his commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 
And, and um, you know, I can give you those notes after, but he pretty much said that um, he felt that Paul kind of softened the gospel message, not mentioning Jesus Christ and him crucified, not mentioning, you know, the need for Christ for salvation. Uh, you know, we kicked that around a little bit. And, of course, you know, that's his opinion and his thought on that. Uh, some of it makes sense. But for any reason, Paul's ministry wasn't that fruitful in Athens. And here he is now in Corinth. And, um, you know, he's gets um, hooked up with Priscilla and Aquila. They're tent makers. So they... Uh, hang out and work together, and in between that, Paul is going to the synagogue reasoning with, um, with the Jews. And then, well, let me just give you a little bit more background. Let's see. Yeah, I don't want to go, everything to go through everything that we talked about. Well, anyhow, um, Silas, and, Silas meets up with Paul in Corinth, He's waiting for him there, and uh, ministry, Paul is ministering. We talked a little bit about verses 9 through 11, so let's pick up there. It'll be a little short, probably a little bit of a preview from last week, and then we'll get into some new territory. So it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in, a night, in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you. Uh, to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So you have to picture up until this point, every day something different is happening in Paul's life. I mean, you, you can't help but see it as you go through the book. Uh, every day something new, a new challenge um, you know, Ed, he's getting kicked out of the synagogue. He's being dragged out of the city and stoned. I mean, you know, he's he's just um, been totally blown off, like like here in this uh, chapter where he gets to the point where he shakes he shakes off his clothes and says, "Hey, you know what? Um, you know, your blood be on your heads. Uh, I'm going to go to the Gentiles." So Paul never had. I don't think he ever had a boring day or an uneventful day. And, you know, his, you know, I, I, he lived by, I pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He, I mean, he was always going forward. And through all of this, I mean, it's amazing the message that the Lord gives to Paul. Right? With all of the opposition to the ministry, everything that's going on, Paul gets this, this night vision, assuring him that there's nothing to be afraid of. Don't worry about it, Paul. Don't worry about it. I'm here. And uh, Thursday night, we talked a lot about, it seemed like we tied a lot of the message into the outreach as we've been doing on Sunday nights. And one thing that the Lord told Paul, he said that there were, there were many people in the city that belonged to the Lord, as he's encouraging him that he's going to be safe. And we talked about that last week. You know, we never know. You know, there is, because there's been a lot of prayer for this community since this church has been here, really. But to think that God has gone out before us, preparing the hearts of the folks in this neighborhood. And to go out 
not with the expectation like, oh, somebody's going to be grumpy with me when I knock on their door. But how about going out there with the whole mindset that God has people out there ready, their hearts prepared to hear the message that we're bringing to them. That's exciting, isn't it? Instead of thinking we're going to be, you know, or get that same response, or I'm Catholic, or I'm this, or I'm that. No, instead, somebody looks at you and says, you know what, God is, I mean, this is, come on in, you know, I, we got to talk about this. You know, that could, that's the reality of what the Lord is telling Paul here in Corinth. Not everybody was going to believe, but there were people there that God was preparing their hearts. And just by word of encouragement, um, that's the kind of mindset that we need to have. The Lord's poking you to say something that you're at the doctor's office or the dentist. And the Lord's saying, hey, just start up a conversation with that lady. You, you never know what God is going to do. And you know, the thing is, you never will know if you don't take that step. And it's, you know, it's, it's not legalism if you don't. You know, you're not going to get condemned. But, you know, if you want to put God to, well, not put God to the test, but if you want to see how your discernment is, if God's really saying that to you. And you know, Pastor Rob said something similar to that this morning about, you know, if God's telling you to take a step, then pray. And if you feel it's the Lord, then go for it. It's a, it brings some excitement into your walk with the Lord, really, when you start doing that. Because right, then you're going to start being like these guys in the book of Acts. I wonder what God's going to do next. You know, this person might not be so receptive, but the next person might. And we're all here, unless you were born a Christian, we're all here because somebody took that initiative to share the gospel with us. So, so Paul gets this word from God, hey, everything is going to be okay, don't worry about it. A lot of people here, um, I'm going to protect you, don't worry about it. And it doesn't take the enemy long to put the word of God to the test, right? And, you know, this is a test for, um, for what God just told Paul. So let's read verses 12 through 16. So when Galeo um, was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourself, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. So this is probably um, towards the end of Paul's stay at Corinth. But think about it. How awesome is God? Paul's getting ready. I mean, here they're dragging him before the proconsul. You know, they think, hey, you know what? Galileo's new. Maybe we, you know, we can get a little um, favoritism going our way. You know, we can get rid of this Paul guy. And, you know, that's what's what they wanted to do. But, you know, we talked about it Thursday night, just how, you know, God has a sense of humor, right? When they 
told Paul to get out of the synagogue, and he, you know, kind of shook his clothes off on him and said, you know, you blood be upon your own heads. I'm going um, to the Gentiles. And they thought, oh, good, you know, good riddance. He's gone. He's finally gone. The next verse says, he moved in with Justice, who lived next door to the synagogue. You know, he didn't go too far, right? I mean, there he is. You know, could you imagine these guys coming out of the synagogue and seeing Paul? I mentioned it last week. You know, he's out there having a cup of t- a coffee, you know, in the morning, and they're saying, what are you doing here? He says, I'm your new neighbor. You know, they just can't get rid of him. They can't, they can't get rid of him. It's awesome to see, you know, really um, what God is doing. So they want to get rid of him. But, you know, God, before Paul can even open his mouth to defend himself, Galileo just lays it out. Hey, look, man, this is none of my business. You Jews got this issue you want to take up with Paul? Hey, have at it, but I'm not getting into it. And, you know, once again, we see the sovereign hand of God uh, preserve the life of his faithful minister. And, you know, that's so true for us today. You know, God has his hand on us. And you know what? Until God's done with us, you know, you're, you're here for the long haul. And, you know, God knows um, the situations that we're in. Just like he knew what was coming Paul's way. And it's interesting because we're going to see this. Through, you know, we, we, we've seen it up to this point, but we're going to see it, obviously, the rest of the way through the book of Acts. You know, God's hand his sovereignty and man's responsibility just to, hey, okay, this is what God wants. This is what we're going to do. And God knows every situation that we face, and he is there with us. And I think Pastor Rob saw my notes this morning because I was going to mention Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego too. I'm just kidding, Rob. But, you know, think about it. You know, God was not only with them, you know, the, you know he, never, he was in the fire with them. You know, so he was, he just immersed himself, if you will, into the situation that they were in. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. You know, we face things, we, and you know what, we wake up, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and not know, you know, we don't know how the day is going to go. But one thing that we do know is that God is in it with us. He is in it, that ever-present help. We don't, one thing you can be positively sure about tomorrow morning when you wake up that he's there with you. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace, he is with us no matter where we go. And sure, you know, James tells us that um, to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. And the reason that we can count it all joy is because we know God is doing something, that God is going to work something for the good in us as we go through that trial. You know, God always has something good. He's always fine-tuning us. So just love that whole idea. You know, God promises um, Paul that he's going to be with them. There's no harm. A lot of people for, um, a lot of people in Corinth are going to hear the word and accept it. The next thing you know, they're dragging him back in front of the pro-council. Paul's ready to open his mouth, and Galileo just tells him, hey, no way. Um, it's not going to happen. And, boy, what a beautiful picture. I mean, don't read past this kind of stuff. Don't read past it. And you know what? Not, just picture Paul sitting there, listening to Galileo tell these guys that they're out of luck again. And he's probably just thinking to himself, oh, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for keeping your promise. 
You know, and think of the boost that was for him too. How you know, you guys ever prayed for something and, and the Lord comes through, you know, you see God's hand, and doesn't that just do something to you inside? You know, it just builds your faith. It just, you know, it just sometimes it kind of just blows you away, right? Man, God, you're just so faithful. You know, so faithful. And, and you know, I know you all know, I mean, we don't deserve any of it. I mean, God just loves us and just pours his grace into our lives in spite of us. In spite of us. So, beautiful picture. And, you know, this is something you can kind of take these snapshots and kind of um, download them into your head because tomorrow... Um, you know, you're going to get a chance to live your faith out. And you're going to have another opportunity, another day to watch God work in your life. And I pray that that puts a, gets a little bit of, um, puts a little excitement into your heart and, you know, into your mind as you think about the day. Forget about what you have planned as far as work or whatever. I mean, it's exciting to know that whatever you got planned, God's going to be involved with it. Boy, what a, what a way to get yourself out of a, a negative kind of a mood or just a feeling down, just knowing God is there with you. Hey, you know what? And even if you can't shake that down feeling, then it's okay because he's there to just embrace you and to love you. You know, it, doesn't, it isn't always about having a smile on your face when God's working. Sometimes it's just those huge God arms around you just holding you and loving you. So it's awesome. All right, verse 17, it says, So then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So it's interesting how um, the crowd took it out on, on Sosthenes. What a name. Why don't they, you know, it'd be nice if they would name these guys like Pete or Joe or, or Ray, you know, something. But anyway, it's a different kind of name. But he's the ruler of the synagogue. So they must have, they must have been a little disappointed with his case that they brought before um, the pro-council for Paul to get off the hook. So in their disappointment, they take it out on him and they beat him up. And um, Galileo just kind of looks the other way. He doesn't, he, he was serious. He just doesn't want to get involved with what's going on with, with the Jews at that uh, particular time. So I'm going to ask you to use your imagination a little bit because there's a lesson here and it's love your enemies. Because if this is the same soft things mentioned in, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.1, then he got converted, okay? And um, a lot of commentators believe it is the same guy. So the lesson, love your enemies. You know, frustrated, you know, frustrated over um, what's going on in the world today. And it's easy to get frustrated with some of the things that you see. But you know what? God has called us to love those people. And I know it's difficult. You know, it's almost like asking you to do the impossible, but we can do all things through Christ, right? And think about this. Here is this, this priest that's uh, the leader of the synagogue. He gets saved. How did he get saved? Did, after he was beaten, did, um, did these guys, did Paul, did, um, who else was with Paul? Um, 
Crispus, Justice, did, did these guys minister to him? Were they, were they the guys that were doing the first aid on him? They were just extending the love of Christ. And he gets saved. And he gets saved. And, you know, we don't, well, you know, we don't understand sometimes, um, you know, like the repercussions of what's going on around us that we don't see in the spiritual world. But, you know, if the politics of today could get under your skin, which it, it very easily does, um, you, you know, you really got to turn your attention away from that. And, you know, you just got to get into word. You got to pray. Um, you know, let me read what Jesus said about loving your enemies. And, you know, of course, Jesus said things and, you know, the disciples took it like, wow, yeah, I, w- I wish I could do that, you know, because it's a pretty high order, right? But it's, you know, in Christ we can. Without Christ we can't. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Tall order, right? To love your enemies. But you know, that's what, that's what God's called us to do. That's what he's called us to do. And as hard as it is, it all starts with prayer. And it would help, too, if you change the channel, right? That, that might help, too. You know, put on a Hallmark movie. They always have a good ending, right? So why, you know, why get bogged down with some of the crazy stuff that's going on in the world? And, you know, the effect that we can have, you know, because, and I think I mentioned this Thursday, you know, we're the solution, you guys are the solution. The Church of Jesus Christ is the solution. We might, um, you know, we might not change any other course of the way things go politically, but you know what? We can change the course of another person's life eternally. And what's more important? What would you rather do? Try to change some of the politics or populate heaven? You know, to lead others to Christ. You know, it seems like a, it's, it's not a trick question. You know, it's a, no, you know, the answer is yes, and I know you guys all feel that way. So it's, it's so important to understand that. You know, and it's, as you go through the book of Acts, you can see the Jews have always tried to force Rome to declare Christianity, the Christian faith, illegal. You know, but it really never, it never happened. It never happened, really. In the book of Acts, Luke emphasizes the relationship between the Roman government and the Christian church. And I forgot where I got this, but I'm going to finish reading it to you. It says, while it was true that the Jewish council prohibited the apostles to preach, and that's in Acts 4 and Acts 5, 
There is no evidence in Acts that Rome ever did so. In fact, in Philippi, Acts 16, Corinth and Ephesus, uh, the Roman officials were not only tolerant, but almost co you know, cooperative um, with, with the church. And of course, when they tried to, when the Roman you know, soldiers took Paul away, once they found out he was a, a Roman citizen and a Christian, they gave him favor. And they gave him favor all the way to Rome. So the whole thing that, um, you know, God has always given the church favor. And I really believe that God has given the church favor today. Even though it looks like our freedom, our, you know, to worship is, is being challenged. You know, one thing that they can never do is they can never take it out of our heart. Um, me and Al were talking out front earlier. You know, some of these countries that we think the church would never grow in because it's against the law to be a Christian are growing more than the church is growing here in this country. You know, so I don't know how Rome felt about it, but I, I think today, you know, they, they might try to take our right to worship away, but it's futile because, you know what, they can close this building down and we can go to Sarah's house, right? And if they close Sarah's house down, then we can go to Pastor Kevin's, right? You know, they can't, you know, they can never, never silence the gospel until, until God says it's done, until the church is raptured, the, you know, the tribulation. You know, I mean, they can do whatever they think they can do, but God's still in control. He's still in control. So don't lose heart, saints. All right, so Paul's going to return uh, to Antioch. And he's going to go through Ephesus to do it. So let's read verses 18 through 22. It says, um, So Paul still remained a good while in Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren, and he sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sancaria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they had asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep the coming, this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus and when he had landed in Caesarea, he had gone up and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. So Priscilla and Aquila accompanied Paul to um, leaving um, Corinth, and they end up going to um, Ephesus with Paul. And Wherever God leads and guides, he, also, he always provides. And one thing about, you know, Paul, he always seemed to be, always seemed to be uh, in step with what the Lord was doing. He's leaving Corinth. He can't leave, he can't leave Corinth without some folks there with him. So he leaves people, he leaves the men there in Corinth, and I'm, which would be Caius, Saulstines, Stephanus, and Crispus. He leaves these guys there to 
oversee the church. And he knows he's got to get to Jerusalem before um, the feast. And he's going to take Priscilla and Aquila with him. And, you know, when you just read it at first glance, I mean, you can understand him leaving those guys there for the church. You know, but why take Priscilla and Aquila with them? And once again, you can see, um, you can see God's hand, right? God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. You know, Paul, eventually, we're going to see, is going to leave Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. And there's going to, I don't know if we'll get, well, we should get that far, but um, I just want to kind of give you a heads up, you know, um, on, on the senior study when we did the book of Acts, I kind of told them, like, this is going to be a little commercial break. So right here, there would be a commercial break because something, you know, they, did you ever see some of these programs? There's a commercial, and then when it comes back, it's totally doing something different. Then there's another commercial, and then they go back. All right, well, that's what this is like. Okay, so this is what's happening here. Paul makes a vow, and a lot of commentators believe it's a, a Nazarite vow. Okay, and um, probably um, just out of a special dedication to God during you know the difficulties that he's had in Corinth, uh, perhaps just to show his um, his gratitude for God. Um, you know, nobody really knows what Paul was thinking when he took the vow, and it's not recorded. But we know that since the Nazarite vow was voluntary, okay, Paul wasn't abandoning grace for law when he undertook the vow. Okay, it wasn't a matter of salvation. It was just a matter of devotion to the Lord. So the cutting of his hair probably indicated that the vow was complete and his desire to end up back in Jerusalem for the feast was to make that offering there. And from some of the commentators that I read, um, you know, he actually would present, actually burn his hair at this, um, at this uh, service. So the ship lands in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila leave the ship, and they're going to stay. They're gonna, their intention is to stay there. And Paul, of course, is going to take advantage of the time while the ship is, you know, whatever the ship does in port, if it's taking on stuff or taking stuff off the ship, uh, he's in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews. So that must have been how Paul spent most of his time, right? He gets a minute in between changing ships or whatever the delay was, and he's, he's still about the Father's business. He's in, um, he's, in the, he's in the synagogue. And if you remember, and, and this is something, I, I hope I explained this right. When we were, um, when Paul was going on his missionary journey, he had an option to go south to Asia, and the Lord told him no. Then he had the opportunity to go north to Britannia, but the Lord said no, right? And he ends up going to Troas, the, you know, the Macedonian call. He ends up over in Philippi, Thessalonica. And he always wanted to get to Ephesus, but it just wasn't the time. And it's funny, now he's there again, but it's, he, he knows in his heart it's still not the right time because he has to be in Jerusalem, and the reason why I bring this up is because it's so important for us to understand that if we're sensitive 
to where God is leading, we're going to end up being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, that was, that's what, I, you know, it's so amazing about Paul. You know, he was in a hurry to get someplace, and that place always seemed to be where God wanted him. So I was thinking about that. I always want to be in a hurry to get to where God wants me to be. You know, and Paul, you know, think Paul, he put his whole, he put his whole itinerary on hold to make sure that he could be back to Jerusalem before the feast because that's where he knew he needed to be. And, you know, I'll, um, I'll mention it again, you know, if you feel that God is directing you, if you feel God is leading you, fall back on what Pastor Rob said this morning, pray. And then, you know, when you feel comfortable that what God is leading and directing you, then, then eventually you've got to take a step of faith. And, you know, our, um, our relationship with the Lord, our, um, our learning, like Paul is going to say, if it's God willing, I'll be back. If, if we want to um, spend time in God's will, then we have to spend time with him. And I'll, I'll make that a little clearer. If you want to, like Paul said, um, you know, hey, Paul, come back to Ephesus. And Paul said, God willing, I will. How do we know God's will? How do we discern God's will? And the place where it starts is in the word of God and in prayer. Developing an intimate relationship with God so you can hear his voice. You know, when I first got married, Mary Ann would tell me stuff I mean, I heard it, but I didn't understand it. You know, I, I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. Over time, the closer we got, she would say things, and then, oh, I understand. I understand what she's saying, right? If, if we want an intimate relationship with the Lord, we have to spend time with him. And something that I suggested to the seniors, and I think so, a couple of them have done this, if, if you really want to work on intimacy with the Lord, get alone in some place in the house, put on some worship music, open your Bible, and just, I, I don't think, just spend time with the Lord. No distractions, praying, just reading the word, and give God an opportunity to speak to your heart. You know, it's... It, and if you've been saved any length of time, you know what I'm talking about because you just sense his presence. You understand that, you know, and as you're praying, you know, you're actually communing with God, right? You know, our spirit bears witness with his. So what, what, we, what we see with Paul and what we see with the disciples is, is all attainable for us, but we, we have to do the work. We have to put in the effort, Right? James says not to be a hearer only, but to be a doer. You know why? He says don't look into this book. Don't look into this book and have God speak to you and then walk away and forget about what he said. You know, all of this is so available to us if we're willing to cultivate that relationship with the Lord. Hey, we all have, well, some of us are married, some of us aren't, uh, but we all have good friends, right? We all have a best friend, maybe. How did that happen? Spending time with each other, being available for each other, 
Um, you know, it's no different with our relationship with the Lord. You want to know what God's will is, then read his word. I mean, that's how, <laughs> that was Paul's whole ministry. He knew, the, he knew the Old Testament and wrote a majority of the New Testament. But he knew God from the Old Testament, right? He knew God's heart. He knew what God expected. He, he was able to, um, obviously, the gospel. I mean, I, I mean, we all know the information that Paul um, wrote in the word, right, that God gave him. So just from knowing him, and I, I pray that you guys see the importance of that. And if you feel like you're not hearing from God or, you, you know, you feel like your relationship has kind of gone stale, then just, it's not, it's nothing to, um, I mean, don't get concerned about it. Just refocus and get back on track. Get back on track. Anyhow, I don't want to get too far into that because I just feel it's important that you know that. And that, you know, when Paul told, in verse 21, let me read it for you. It says, but... Um, but took leave of them. Paul's leaving. Um, he's leaving Ephesus, and he's saying, "I must by all means keep this coming fast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing." And he sailed to Ephesus. So, if it was God's will, Paul was going to come back, and we know it was God's will because Paul did go back, right? So, think about what Paul did, and I. This was a challenge for me. Paul redirected his entire travel schedule because he wanted to get to Jerusalem to the feast so he could complete his vow, and more importantly, because he knew that's where God wanted him. And the question that I posed to myself, and I'll pose it to you, when is the last time you redirected your entire, your entire schedule to accommodate God's plan? Are you willing to set aside your plans for the Lord are we consulting God, asking him if our plans are in line with his? And I know that we, um, we're all in the habit, right, of waking up in the morning. We have, you know, we have our day planned, right, for the most part. But, and, and you know, and I forgot who, who the teacher was. I was listening to somebody on the radio. This was a couple years ago. And they said they used to write in their daytimer in pen. But eventually they realized that, you know, it's easier to write it in pencil because if God changes things, it's easier to erase. You know, and he he just encouraged, you know, the people that were listening that, you know, we have, you know, obviously we, we have some plans for the day, but we should always be open to allow the Lord to insert himself into that. Or maybe change them, you know, if the Lord wills. And, um, you know, for Paul, that was more than just a religious slogan, right? And um, I think in, in the church, we're, we're all kind of guilty of that. It's, um, it's almost like a habit, right? Hey, I'll, I'll see you next week. And, you know, the response is, oh, yeah, Lord willing. But, you know, do we, do we think of, you know, the, the thought behind that? Well, sure, you know, I, Paul is saying, hey, yeah, I'll be back if, if it's God's will. If it's God's will. What did James say about that? In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, he says, Come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, 
spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What if your life, for what if your, what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So yeah, if God wills, it's a, it's a, it's a, a good philosophy to have. But you know, I think we need to. It's more of a. It's more of a, a like a saying than it is the real heart of it. If the Lord wills, because uh, you know sometimes, and I, I guess I'll 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 be the one to confess that sometimes you say, I say it just out of just say because that's what I'm used to saying. I mean, I don't. Sometimes I say it, and then I, you know, you think about it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but you know, I even. I hope you guys could forgive me. Sometimes I say it and not even think about it. Like, you know, it's like, and I don't know, maybe do you guys ever, uh, don't let me be just the only one up here like this, right? Okay, thanks, Al. Rob. No, but you know what, I, you, you guys understand what I'm trying to say. It's, it, don't, don't think of it in such a, um, you know, just a, like an unimportant kind of way. You know, Paul, Paul really meant it from his heart. Hey, guys, if God, I don't know, but if God wills for me to come back, I'm going to come back. You know, and you just see the honesty and the transparency in, in Paul. You know, and he wanted, you know, he wanted to end up in Ephesus, and God finally allows him to do that. And, you know, guys, knowing and doing God's will is a privilege as believers when you think about it. I was thinking of Ananias when, you know, the Lord told him to go pray with Saul just before when Saul gets saved. And, you know, who knows how, um, you know, we, well, we know, actually, we know how he felt before he went. And, you know, God had, you know, kind of given him a little bit more information, you know, that Saul was going to be used by him. And then to think after it all happened and Saul gets saved and now he's not Saul anymore, he's Paul. And, you know, to, and this is not thus says the Lord, but this is what goes on in my head. You know, I picture Ananias kind of sitting back, you know, a few months later, a year later, thinking, boy, Lord, thanks. What a privilege to be used by you to go to pray, you know, with, with Saul or to pray with Paul. You know, when we talk about knowing and doing God's will, what a privilege, what an honor, what a responsibility that that is to think that God would entrust us to um, fulfill or to carry out part of his plan. And, you know, I I read um, last Thursday night, I mentioned, I forgot the guy's name, but, you know, there was a guy that, and he walked into a shoe store back in the 1800s and led uh, D.L. Moody to the Lord. Did you think he knew that? But, you know, years later, you wonder if he ever reflected back on that and just th- thanked God for just being able to be a part of what he was doing. You know, what a privilege. And, and you know, we don't, we don't see it that way sometimes. You know, we don't comprehend sometimes exactly what's going on in Christendom, in, in our lives as believers. You know, it's a, 
there's probably not even enough, there's probably not an accurate enough word in our English language to describe just what a privilege and an honor it is to serve the creator of the universe, to be used as a part of his plan. You know, those are the things that, that we need to be seeking God about. Don't, you know, we, we got to do the best we can not to, get, not to let what's going on around us distract us from what really is going on in us and what God wants to do through us. Because the enemy will keep us distracted with all of the stupid stuff that's going on out there. And it's serious stuff. And I, I'm sorry I said stupid stuff, but, I mean, it's serious stuff. It affects people's lives. But, you know, to think that God has called us to something better, that God has called us to be a part of the solution, and to know that we're keeping in step with God, that we're, um, you know, we're a part of his plan. So, and, you know, there's no better place to be than in God's will. You know, a beach in Hawaii, wherever, the sunniest, warmest place you like, or you like, whatever you like, there's no better place than being in God's will and, you know, just keeping in step with the Lord. You know, there's a lot of things we like to do, but I, my prayer is, Lord, I don't want anything to, to, to you know, to dethrone uh, my desire to be in your will and to be used by you. There's a lot of distractions out there, guys, but you know what? There's no better place to be than in God's will. Uh, Psalm 25, verses 4 through 5, it says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. And Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Being in God's will and knowing that you are, it's amazing. So 18 months after Paul gets to Corinth, it's God's will for him to leave Corinth and to return back to his home church in Antioch. So like I said, he he leaves, takes off, he leaves with Priscilla and Aquila, leaves them at Emphasis, and we're going to be coming back from that commercial break I was telling you about to another scene. So Paul goes to um, Caesarea, he goes up to Jerusalem, completes his vow, kind of, I'm assuming um, he gives uh, the, the church in uh, Jerusalem an update as to what happened for 18 um, 18 months or so in Corinth. And, of course, this is the end of his second missionary journey. So I'm assuming that he would bring them up to date as to what happened throughout that whole trip. He goes, um, he goes back to his home church in Antioch. And just a little extra side note, his second missionary journey covered about 300 miles. So that's not bad walking around 300 miles uh, doing ministry. So in verse 23, it says, after, after he, Paul, had spent some time there in, in Antioch, he departed and went over the region of Galatia, Phygeria, in order, in order, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul, in verse 23, starts his 
third missionary journey. But while that's happening, um, you know, Paul is, we're going to get back to Paul in chapter 19, but, you know, there's somebody else um, that's come to Ephesus. So we're coming back from that commercial break, and here we have Apollos, another preacher um, in the early church, um, shows up in, in, um, in Ephesus. Okay, so you got to keep in, you got to kind of, and we'll get through this. Keep in mind, Paul goes through Ephesus, and now he leaves Aquila and Priscilla there, right? The sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. Paul leaves them there, and I, I have to be honest with you, I don't know exactly why he did, but it was a good thing he did, because Apollos is going to show up, and he's, um, he's going to need a little bit of, um, he's going to need some tutoring in his theology. And guess who's there to do that? Priscilla and Aquila. Hmm. It's, God, you know, it's just amazing to see God's hand. This should be stuff like this. I mean, it's, it's not like monumentous stuff, but, you know, this should be something that you hold on to and say, you know what, God truly is in control. God truly is steps ahead of us, preparing the way, doing things already, just planning for us in advance. And that's, you know, that is stuff that should really um, bolster your faith. And it's something that should really put a little, just a little giddy up in your step, I guess. I mean, just something to make you just get excited. Hey, you know what? I, you know, I don't know what's going on tomorrow, but, you know, God's already got that under control. And it's true here. And you see this. You know, and we'll just kind of encapsulate. Um, Apollos was born in Alexandria, and that was like the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And, I mean, it had... You know, I jotted down a few things. This, I'll just give you the important stuff. The city was famous for its great library and was considered the cultural and educational center of the world. And, I mean, so think of the, the, the information they had there. They, they had the whole, the complete, almost the whole complete Old Testament there. Apollos was a pretty smart guy, but he was limited in his understanding, in verse 25, it says, He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So, apparently, he was a, a disciple of John the Baptist. And the fact that he only knew the baptism of John suggests that um, he, didn't, he didn't hear about uh, the baptism that Jesus commanded after his resurrection, Matthew 28, 19. And then, which began to be administered to all believers in Christ on and after the day of Pentecost. So Apollos, his knowledge of the Christian gospel must have been a little deficient in some ways. And you can see, um, you can see that that's kind of obvious. But you know what? His heart was in the right place. And I, I'm not making excuses for him. His heart was in the right place. He just needed some direction and some clarity. And Aquila and Priscilla model for us the proper response in situations like this. 
when you see somebody excited and on fire for the Lord and, you know, they need a little, they need a little adjustment in their theology, this is a beautiful picture of what to do. Because you know what they did? It, listen to what it says. It says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I mean, it, that's pretty basic, right? They saw that he, he didn't quite, he doesn't have the whole picture, so what do they do? They don't embarrass him in front of the crowd. They don't, no, they pull him aside and say, look, bro, you know, what you're, you, you, you're on track, but you, some things happened after that. You know, that Jesus died, was, was resurrected, he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came the day of Pentecost. They, they expound the, the, the deficiencies he had. They, they come up and shore those up, and they get him on, on track with what's going on with the gospel. And they must have had a lot of confidence in that, because it says in verse 27, and when he desired, he being Apollos, desired to go to Achaia, the brethren, I'm assuming the leadership there in Ephesus, exhorting the disciples to receive him. So we're going to see Apollos is going to go to Corinth. Next chapter, Paul is going to come to Ephesus. They're doing a little swap there. But he gets a real good recommendation by the church at Ephesus to the church at Corinth. For him, you know, now that they've brought him up to speed, you know, they now there's now he's able to go preach the gospel um, in Corinth. And it says, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So he goes, he goes to Corinth. He's got his, um, you know, he's got his. Um, the update or he's got gospel version two or whatever. He knows the whole story now. And he goes there with um, the recommendation from the church at Ephesus. And it says when he gets there, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Look at the result of what happens when believers take, um, you know, we take each other under our wing. We minister to one another. We lovingly um, uh and I don't want to say they didn't rebuke him or anything. They just lovingly educated him. They brought him up to speed. He was, he was lacking some information, and they gave him that. It's a, just a beautiful picture of the way the church should work. You know, there's, I mean, and it, when you look at it, it's just, it just happens so matter-of-factly. It's just beautiful to see, these, you know, this young couple, this couple that have been hanging around with Paul, you know, working, making tents, in the ministry, Paul leads them there. They're sitting in the service, and, you know, Apollos has got some deficiencies in his theology. They probably look at each other and say, hey, now I know why Paul left us here. You know, we have to minister to our brother. They pull him aside, and they just lovingly tell him, hey, look, a lot's happened since that. And it's just amazing. And that's, this, is, this is what our life should be like. This is what church life should be like. I mean, this is a snapshot of what life should be for us as the church. Just God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Hey, we know what God wants. It's no clue, right? I mean, it's not a mystery. We don't know. We do know. And we just need to get up to speed. And just like Aquila and Priscilla came alongside Apollos, you know what? The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. 
you know, the Lord comes alongside us. And there's some deficiencies in my thinking, <laughs> you know what, but he doesn't, um, like, kick me to the curb. He just, okay, Dave, come here. You know, I, we, I just need to bring you up to speed on a few things. You know, but that's the way our lives should be with our relationship with the Lord and in the church. And last verse, and I, this is really, I love this verse. And so it says, for he, Apollos, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He's back on track, and guess what? He's just not sharing the gospel. He's sharing the gospel vigorously. I don't know what vigorously looks like, but it looks like some excitement. Like he's, you know, like he's brimming, you know, like, hey, you guys, this is, this is really what it's all about. And he preaches Jesus Christ. Man, what a way to end the chapter, right? So next time, well, I don't know when next time will be, but uh, we're going to be in Acts 19. Uh, Paul is going to be in Ephesus for two years. And a lot of good things are going to happen there. But it's all going to be the same thing. It's, uh, you know, it's almost like watching a little house on the prairie or something. You know, it's always something godly, something good's happening or whatever. But it's going to be the same thing. God is going to lead. God is going to guide. And, you know, Paul and the disciples and the people in the church, they're going to follow. And, um, you know, when God leads and we follow and we're obedient, some amazing things happen. And amazing things are going to happen. And I just want to encourage you guys to take this into today, into where we live, and um, allow God to lead. We're going to follow, and we're going to do the best we can to keep in step with him. Because, you know what, we want to see um, our little Jerusalem, our Penfield, and we want to see people come to the Lord. We want to see relationships healed. We want to see people saved. You know, and I said it Thursday, you know, think of how crazy it would be if this place was filled wall to wall with new believers. If this place would be, we wouldn't even need the electric in here. We'd be able to keep the lights on with the enthusiasm of the people in here. You know, people getting saved brings excitement and life into the church. And that's what God's called us to do. It's not complicated. Okay, so faith is believing the word of God and acting on it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. He will. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. And Lord, uh, thank you for your word. And, and God, I'm excited because, God, um, you're um, in control. And that, that is something to get excited about. It's comforting. It's reassuring. And uh, Lord, I'm you know, I'm going to practice what I preach. When I get up tomorrow, I'm, going to, I'm just going to look for you in my day, and I'm going to do my best to keep in step and with you and to keep my day open. And, Lord, uh, I'm going to make sure I see one, of the, one or two of these folks that are out there tonight, and I'm going to share with them what you've been doing, God. And I, I pray that we all do that. We all um, just share the excitement of you being in our day and the things that you're doing. I pray, God, that you would strengthen your church through your word. And, and Lord, that we would see that, um, you know, we're a family. And, God, that we would be mindful to pray for each other, keep each other um, in prayer, and, and really just uh, love on each other, Lord. 
It's just a, a beautiful picture to see it in the book of Acts and to see it lived out um, here at Calvary Chapel of Rochester and, you know, throughout your church on this planet, Lord. So we thank you for that. We pray for Traveling Mercy's home, Lord, for everyone that get us all home safe. And, and Lord, should you tarry, we want to thank you for uh, just a, an awesome day in you tomorrow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.